If you were to assign yourself a D&D class right now, what would it be? Personally, I feel like I would be a bard. Wizard. Oh. Wizard? I feel like both those fit. Yeah. Because you know I'm always making magic happen. Um, no. No. (laughs) No multi-classing. Come on. Wait. So so how about, Jay, you say what you think you are, and then we'll all assign each other a class. I love that. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. I feel like I would either be an inquisitive rogue or a bard. Uh, but I would think more bard. Jake. Yeah, either yeah, of those Jake, I feel Jake like. Is, but if I'm not allowed like to multi class, the playing music or. and like the dancing stuff, like not so much for Jake. But as far as like just deep charisma, deep wells of charisma, and the ability <laughs> to just talk people into anything, but also like buff the party with like interesting thoughts. Yeah, so he's kind of he's kind of bardic <laughs> thought buffing. Bardic. Maybe he's a warlock. He's a little Ooh. devious. <laughs> Dude, if, if the if the void was a patron, then sign me up. <laughs> it's so dark. I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> uh, okay, so assign me a class. See, I'd say either wizard. I think it's um, bard. I, do... I think it's bard. So I, I don't think wizard would work for me because that's like academic and you have to like study hard to get it. But I'm actually a terrible student. You could so be more of a sorcerer. I'd be a sorcerer. You'd be, you'd be oh, a sorcerer. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorcerer or bard for sure. I could see him as and like then... a druid maybe. Mm. I did oh. play a druid for a long, a long time in World of Warcraft. He's huh. a little, little druid boy. That's what they call okay. him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David. <laughs> David is. Oh man, I I say I'm a wizard. What do you say? Oh, I see David as an artificer, like the unearthed arcana oh, class, because yeah. he's just like like loves to tinker and think about stuff in a weird way. What's the right word? Because yeah. the artificer was just like two classes kind of like merged into one. Mm. And it felt very homebrew. Um, and I yeah. think that David is a homebrew kind of guy. Yep. Yeah, I'd go with that. I mean, that or I think David's wizard. I think that. <laughs> so, I think even, that though we, even though we said no multi-classing, David is actually two levels in every class. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit well, of everything. I mean, I think David is. I think David is the wizard, though, because I I hate the wizard the most. Oh my gosh! (laughs) (laughs) Oh no! Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a Dungeons & Dragons podcast, episode 12, Fighter Class. We're starting our new class series, so look for that every other week. Our first class is the fighter. The fighter, the most common class in the game. Human fighter. Human oh. fighter level one. It's astronomical how many people play a human fighter. It's just, it is by far, like, no competition the most common race and class combination. And I don't know. Why do you guys think that is? Why do you think the fighter is such a common class that people pick? I really think that it's something that people can easily relate to the most. So if you look at the fighter, huh. they're, they're pretty basic in what they can do. They're the human, you know, being a human is what most people are when you're playing d and I've never met someone who's not human who's played d and <laughs> I actually I've have. I've played with a few non-humans. Uh, she was really yeah. weird. <laughs> The only non-human that I can think of is maybe Mark Zuckerberg. But... Whoa! <laughs> you played with him? 
No, but I imagine he plays. <sighs> he played yeah. he played a lizard folk, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought he played a cyborg. That is why you're supposed to get out of your comfort zone and play something that you're not already physically. <laughs> oh, um, all right, so what is a fighter? David, take it away. What is a fighter? I think a fighter is someone who really accelerates in combat. Accelerates who... in combat? <laughs> <laughs> He's driving a car in combat. <laughs> I'm in the first gear. Off we go. <laughs> to the races, boys. This is Need for Speed now. God. Can we make like a car version of D&D where everybody's just a different type of car? Well, oh, no, no, no. Let's just do cars. The, more you talk. the movie, but just the D&D version. Oh, well, I've actually already played that. Wait, really? I called it uh, Cars and Crossroads. And uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> so a fighter is, is somewhat... <laughs> A fighter is... Are you about to say the fighter is someone who excels at fighting? Because I'm going to hit you in the face. (laughs) So, a fighter is someone who is really good in combat, specifically using melee weapons or ranged weapons. (laughs) I feel like you're describing literally every class in the game. So... What makes them different? What makes them different is that, as written in 5e... Not a lot, what? in my opinion. What I think, Oof. I think the fighter class is pretty bland. In in my opinion, a bland. Well, okay. If we're saying bland, like the lack of magic makes it bland. The lack of options. No. So for me, playing a fighter in D anD D is every other class is like playing a cool WoW character, and when you're what? playing the fighter, you're playing RuneScape. Oh, and you're no. just doing you're doing the click to attack. And it's like you you hit or you miss. Huh. Wow. That's for me, my experience and how I perceive the fighter. Have you ever played one? I have. I played once or twice. What level do they get to? Not very high. Because I, I can understand that low level fighter is actually just the most boring thing. Uh, so I think low level fighter is the most interesting because it has the most <laughs> oh comparable <my> features. <laughs> when they get to higher levels, they're the same thing. They could just they have slightly higher modifiers and they have a few more attacks. Well, right, well okay, Jake, I'm gonna step in here. Yeah. Uh, I'm kicking David out. Good. Sorry, sorry guys, he's off the podcast. Just <laughs> your mind will from now on. <laughs> Oh no, no! I'm surprised um, by this this opinion actually, because I think that fighters can they can be very interesting. Um, if we're judging D and D characters solely by the decisions you make in combat, um, combat really is only a third of the game or less. If you're Jake, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. To add to that point, even in Xanathar's Guide, when you look at the fighter, this this is the quote. This is the flavor at the beginning. The quote says. Let me know when you're all done talking, Tordek. And it's like, <laughs> wow. It, it like it like shows that this this class likes combat. This class is based around combat. And when you look at the fighter philosophically, when you look at it in comparison to all the other classes, mm. the fighter is designed to fight. It is designed for combat. It's designed for bloodshed. And that's why I think there's an easy mm-hmm. trap that players can fall into is because they make a fighter and they go, I want to fight. And they oftentimes, I mean, this is an easy class. You can pick where you neglect backstory, you neglect 
any character arcs. You neglect any sort of storytelling or narrative devices, and you just go, who do I kill? And I think the only other class that's worse is the Barbarian, in my opinion. Hmm. Hmm. I actually think the, the fighter has some of the most interesting and cool backstories that you can do. It has a lot of flavor to the class. I think it's one of the most flavorful classes in the game. Wait, David, are you like are you a but fan of I the think, fighter or not? No, I I like the I like what? the I like the fighter as a class, but I don't like how it's how the rules work and how it plays in 5e. Huh. Okay. I think that the flavor, I think that the backstory, I think all of that is great. I just think that the mechanics are lacking. Huh. Is that just the fighter itself or just D&D? No, that's that's 5e. I think that there's Missed opportunities there, but hmm. that's just my opinion. Yeah, because because your opinion um, is is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking from my perspective, no, th- it's the it's the opposite, right? Like, I think the fighter is fine mechanically. I think it's just it's fairly boring when it comes to backstory. And th- this is one of those classes you can e- you can easily just slide into. Yeah, I'm a soldier, I'm a killer, I'm a mercenary, I kill things for a living. And just neglect every narrative hook the DM throws at you. There's really, it it takes collaboration from the DM to really make the fighter shine from a narrative perspective, from a role-playing perspective. So I feel like uh, you two are both on just completely opposite ends of the spectrum here, and I'm definitely in the middle, um, because I don't think that, mechanically the fighter suffers and i don't think that role-playing it has to i think it can like jake is saying um the name of everything you do is in the name of the class like i'm a fighter i fight Uh if you're looking at other classes like the druid or the rogue or whoever like the druid could do other things other than fight you Mm. think of them as like tending a huge garden in a cave for 200 years or the rogue is really just sort of stealing to survive yeah. or the paladin is really he works for a church somewhere he does missions like a knight mm-hmm. kind of um but the fighter is just literally here to kill stuff and i think that players can hook onto that and and just sort of um like jake is saying neglect or um purposefully overlook all the other stuff that you normally have to do in D and know i don't think you have to in fact I, I i have lots to say on ways to make them really spicy and interesting um but hopefully, by the time we get to the end of this episode, both Jake and David will have a greater appreciation for each other's <laughs> Doubt it. <laughs> I think that I think that Will has a great point. So, one of the interesting things about the fighter is that with their backstory, I think it provides an interesting lens into which you can play the game. So, if you think about how you view the world, you're viewing it through this fighting lens, and it's just the way that you approach the game. Oh, okay. You can, and there are there are so many different lenses that your character might have. So your your character might be a noble, so they have that lens through which they view the world. A fighter, naturally, they're gonna they're gonna want to engage in combat more often and defeat them just straight up in a fight. So that's just one of the ways that you can play a fighter. And while you can, you don't want to engage in that lens too heavily. It's also a great lens to have because. Some parties are afraid of combat, hmm. and they just try to avoid every encounter. <laughs> oh, that's a good but point. Having a fighter, having a fighter who is like, no, let, like we can defeat them, like we can outsmart them, we can defeat them in battle. That's great. 
Yeah, because it really opens you up to, as someone who loves the the whole role play element and trying to talk your way out of scenarios, it really, I, I kind of appreciate um, someone who is ready to get their hands dirty. They're willing to do the hard thing. And sometimes when you look at a situation, it's like the, the historical kind of mythic story of the Gordian knot, where there is a knot that cannot be untied. And the, the person that unties it, you know, will be given all these these things. And Alexander the Great, you know, this probably didn't happen, but he was the one who said, okay, the way to solve this, he just cut it in half. And mm. that's that's something that is occasionally underrated, especially in 5e, where they give you openings of ways to creatively, charismatically get your way out of situations. Sometimes it is very cinematic to have someone be like, the only way out of this is blood. And 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 that can be really, really, really valuable. So bottom line, there are a ton of fighters. Why do you guys think people pick fighters so often? The reason people pick fighters is because mechanically they're just simple. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no spells. And um, I heard somebody say that spells are the worst part of D&D, but also the best part because they're so complicated uh. and you have to stop and read and look up everything. But then the game is just so boring and dry without it. Um, and since low-level fighters don't have that, obviously it's very simple. Um, however, inside of your world scenario, I like to ask why there's so many fighters. And I think this is, as we love to say, the tone anchor into your world is because D&D is a violent place and you have to have people who are willing to fight. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great. I think there's this certain empathy in the fighter class of where players, when they're thinking of characters, when they're thinking of a class they want to be, they can visualize themselves picking up a sword and running at a monster and swinging their weapon at it. Whereas, you know, a mm-hmm. warlock or a sorcerer, they can't imagine making a deal with some dark deity and then shooting some necrotic bolt out of their hands. You know, they can't imagine some weird uh, magic where they shoot lightning from their fingers. But it's pretty easy to make that leap to think about what you would do when there's a monster attacking and there's a sword right next to you. You know, you pick up your sword yeah. and you fight the monster. So that's, that makes me think that psychologically um ever since we were children we've been imagining ourselves as a great warrior a great hero mm-hmm. and we visualized that moment many times of, yeah. like charging at the monster bravely with this cool suit of armor mm-hmm. um and so it's not even a leap or a stretch to just do that in this game and like you're saying we don't imagine ourselves as wizards or as a paladin um which is arguably like pretty similar to a fighter in a lot of ways yeah um yeah i think that's really uh, insightful what about fighters in pop culture? Oh my gosh. Everybody in fantasy stuff is a fighter. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, look at Game of Thrones and and point to me who is not a fighter in Game of Thrones. Uh, like the, Bran? Some of the women and children, but even... <laughs> right, like, and he, because he's a druid. Oh, yeah. Is he, though? Definitely. Is, mm, Dude, the three... I think that's... Or? I think he's the more mm, guttural... He's more of like a sorcerer. Well, bottom line, the, the more, like, real darker fantasy, the more gritty settings like that. I mean, yeah, they're going to include more fighters because that is the way to excel in combat when magic is so rare and so foreign. Like, it's going to be full of fighters. 
it's funny because that doesn't really reflect history at all. Like in medieval times, mostly everybody was a peasant and hardly anybody knew how to fight. Well, I mean, like, there's a lot of the population that you don't see in Game of Thrones where... True. Nobody cares about the peasant's life, yeah. like, side plot. <laughs> <laughs> I think in general... Today I gotta butcher a cow. <laughs> I think in general in history, um, most, even the most fantastic tacticians and combatants, they're fighters through and through. Like, that's why it's so easy to think of a historical example of fighters, why it's so easy to empathize with someone who is holding a martial weapon and fighting an enemy because it's 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 throughout history yeah it's it's, yeah you don't even have to really use your imagination Mm -hmm. no Uh, the same goes for lord of the rings um oh man any war-torn fantasy world is gonna have soldiers yeah yep so it's i feel like the fighter should just be the soldier class oh i disagree soldier class i disagree because really it, it says in the um in the player's handbook that as a fighter, you are – it basically says, answer these two questions. Who trained you and why are you better than the people around you? Because it, it says oh all of the soldiers mm. that you're with, they're soldiers, but they are not fighters. The fighter class basically baked into the class means that you excel in fighting beyond your compatriots mm-hmm. beyond your fellow soldiers beyond you know the city guard that you've been with beyond your friends beyond your family you are a excellent combatant and so the main question in the player's handbook is what makes you different why are you this amazing fighter is it because you're more ruthless is it because you've tr- just trained harder is it because you've been given this gift from a god whatever it's it's why are you different than your average soldier so i think there is a def- there's definitely a comparison or they are similar but not the same mm-hmm. um i think that fighters can come from all kinds of different backgrounds i mean if we're talking about the stuff like game of thrones and lord of the rings um the military is a great easy one like um that's where you're gonna get a lot of them yeah i I actually have not heard that description from the player's handbook about you being superior um because i always wonder what is this awesome guy doing with this ragtag group of randos (laughs) in a tavern (laughs) and and that's a question that you can really you can answer and think about and and actually take yourself to more interesting places Mm -hmm. because maybe you washed out maybe you got injured maybe you got court-martialed and now you have all this skill and nowhere to put it yeah, yeah, that, that's a good point because it, it really makes a point, and I think rightfully so, that you are not just an average city guardsman. You are not just a soldier. You are way better. You are you, your martial capabilities are exceed the people around you. I think that's what separates a fighter from you know a typical background of just a, you know city guard or a standard soldier. Mm-hmm. What other ways are there to have been trained to be a fighter that we can think of? So you could have some sort of like, I'm thinking martial arts. <laughs> okay. So you would have some sort of like, maybe you were a part of a, you were taken on as an apprentice mm-hmm. or there was some sort of like fighting church. Like yeah, I don't, don't want to say like, church. Well, like a monastery. Yeah, but like a monastery. Yeah, this fits along with the monk in a lot of it ways. It just trains fighters. I think this fits along with the monk in a lot of ways. Like the way you can separate Mm. yourself from, you know, I'm a soldier is that you had an extreme 
skill with a certain weapon and then someone took you under their wing and you were trained by this mentor that taught you the arts of combat um and that kind of aligns with a monk at a monastery in a lot of ways yeah but it it does i don't know the, the whole mentor aspect and especially that mentor relationship opens up a lot of stuff you can talk about for role playing so i'm envisioning a character now that is uh Either a fighter with monk levels or vice versa. Or a samurai. Uh, well, the samurai is in uh, Xanthar's. It's a subclass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's a little, I think it's a little different. They don't get key, but they get something like it. Um, but you were raised in a monastery, and maybe you were drafted, or you just you joined some band of mercenaries. And so you've fallen away from like that faith and that purity of weapon-free combat, um, but you still have all this knowledge and these connections back to the monastery. Yeah, I think for me, this, this echoes so true for one of my characters that I'm running in, in one of my games right now. He's a samurai, um, and so he's a samurai fighter, and he's got this, you know, um, samurai sword that's a magic weapon that's a talking sword. And the emerald <laughs> in the hilt is inhabited by his old master that died. And when he and, oh that's so cool just yell and at him? when his yeah yeah exactly so when his master died he entered Stand his blade <laughs> you do it hard <laughs> and so Jake, yeah no. no like I have to I have to be this um, as the DM I have to be this samurai master that is dead but is inhabiting his yeah is inhabiting his blade that will make stern remarks that will guide him on the right path and it's it's been really great just to see that mentor mentee relationship play out with the fighter specifically the samurai it's been it's been super cool to because because a lot of times classes don't allow the dm to insert themselves that's why my favorite classes are Mm -hmm. the paladin and the warlock because the paladin has their oath and kind of their their group they're with and then the, the warlock has their patron. And those two things allow the DM to insert themselves and kind of be like, you know, do these things. or They kind of give a little more puppeteer strings to the whole nature of the character. But the fighter, in general, lacks that a lot. And so having kind of the samurai I I think- with this thing in the hilt, you know, with his mentor talking to him adds that flavor to it that it otherwise doesn't have. What do you think, David? Because I don't think it has that enough. I think it does. You're just like not being creative enough. Oh. Like but it was when he's got the gem in the hilt. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm saying that's a, that's a good workaround for that problem that you have. And, you know, you could have other mentors. You could have other military colleagues you got trained somehow you didn't just magically get to being a badass fighter right but he's saying that in terms of having a voice with mm-hmm. the party all the time yeah absolutely i agree that yeah, it's, you, still, it's, you can you can yeah. do it but it it takes more work mm-hmm. like admit it the paladin and the warlock have those baked into the classes whereas the the fighter you have to really work to have uh, you know, a. I don't think it's that much arc. more work. I think you're over exaggerating. Uh, what? Okay. Why are you being combative? Because <laughs> it's the fighter. <laughs> He's fighting. <laughs> I see. There's fighting. a theme here. Um, no, so um, I was going to say. 
Oh, for class training. So this is something that has always kind of bothered me about 5e right now, is that you just level up and you're out in a cave three floors down and like, oh, I suddenly know all these other moves overnight because I went, I had eight hours of sleep and I can just do that. <laughs> um, but with this Jim and the Hilt mentor thing, you can explain it away and say like, oh no, like when he's alone, he's, mm-hmm. he's practicing his moves with his master's like tutelage. Mm-hmm. And so he's literally like training all the time. Yeah. And that's... Such a great like uh, explanation for leveling up in the no, field. No, that's cool. It it fits so well because he he always says like, you know, his character is very martial. He wants to you know do the best combat he can, and he's always like, I wake up earlier than my compatriots. Mm-hmm. I want to start training, and he always talks to his sword, which is hilariously kind of hard for me because his sword <laughs> is um it, it's his mentor, but his mentor is a very 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 Japanese stereotype. And so, oh, no. so, so he'll, he'll talk to him and make me role play as this, this sword. And it, the whole table will just burst out laughing as I'm trying to do this like stern Mr. Miyagi type Japanese mentor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I have a question. So um, how do you dungeon master for a fighter as opposed to how you play a fighter? Like, Are they very different? Oh, I think... Yeah, so so I don't know. It, it's coming from completely different perspectives because when I am playing as a fighter, I guess I am looking for ways that the DM can latch on to some of my backstory in order to make my fighter more interesting because you guys know I like the role play nature of D&D more. So as a fighter, mm-hmm. because there's not much baked into the class itself that the DM can work with, I always want to think of like what was the last mercenary gang I was a part of? Who was my mentor? All this stuff that like the DM can work with. Um, and the same thing goes, you know, flipping it to the DM. If I'm dungeon mastering for a fighter, I want to find some of those hooks that I can dig into, that I can pull out. Um, who is his mentor? Who is the last army he was affiliated with? Who was the person that he took orders from? All that stuff so I can bake it into the plot. Um, but I think the general thing with fighters as a DM is give them opportunities to shine. Let them fight. Let them fight. Like, that's the bottom line. If you have a fighter in your party, <laughs> you've got to have some really, really cool combat encounters to let them shine. Um, I would add in here, I feel like people overlook the archer archetype of fighter oh definitely um, because just because you're a fighter doesn't mean you're a you know frontline guy like um fighters are just this huge damaging potential um, mm-hmm. in terms of combat um, but i also like that idea of um i guess it's not aragorn but more of boromir who's in the back and he can do um up close or far away hmm. or legolas legolas probably more like a ranger because he did a lot of tracking yeah but he didn't like really cast any spells yeah, he's he's I mean, on the edge. Arguably, arguably those like tricks he did that defy like human physics. Oh my god, he was definitely using magic on that. <laughs> that was movie magic. <laughs> so what what are some of the pros and cons of playing a fighter? What have we not gone over? Are you talking about like the mechanics? Because I think there's there's a lot of mechanics we can explore in the subclasses because they they vary wildly. Yeah, they do. And that's something I like about 5e is just, um, I think in the core rules, everybody has at least three subclasses. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, very cool. So let's get into that now. Um, so at level three, the fighter can 
specialized into either the champion, the battlemaster, or the eldritch knight. Hmm. All right. So the subclasses. I mean, I feel like if you have a player that's very new to D and D, fighter is a great way to just introduce them to combat in this system. I feel like champion and battlemaster are really, really simple and effective. Um, yep. They aren't. They aren't complicated and they don't have many detrimental qualities to them um yeah i really oftentimes will point new players in this direction for the battlemaster both champion and battlemaster so i think the champion is simpler um it looks like all you get is a five uh, percent more chance to crit yeah um yeah, I think that's kind of better. You get some stats. proficiency boosts and stuff like that. Yeah, it's pretty simple. So it's it's very simple. If you want someone, if you if someone doesn't is not good with systems like game systems, give them the champion. Yep, that's a great way to just give them a basic class that it gives them some numbers boost, but it doesn't really add a whole lot to the class. So they're not having to worry about oh, I have this skill and this skill and this skill to worry about. <laughs> this is the class for. Um, the the significant other who's just dropping in for the night <laughs> or like if somebody is has left and they're just you know a no-show you can take it over easily enough and it, it really doesn't complicate your life at all because there's no decisions to make you just yep. roll a dice you just swing your sword and uh and stuff dies yeah solid and next up we have the battle master and i think this is out of all of the fighter subclasses i think this is the most interesting and probably my favorite hmm. just because it has the most unique decisions that you can make because you get all sorts of maneuvers. Oh, in terms of the fighter? Do. Yeah, in terms of the fighter and just in terms of all of the subclasses that it has. Uh-huh. This one, I think, is the most well-designed de- well and I think it's the most fun to play because you're given more options. Yeah, I think this one also opens up a lot of opportunities for role play because a lot of the tactics mm-hmm. and the you know maneuvers uh, can add a lot of flavor that the the warrior, the standard fighter, is kind of missing. And so, yeah, these these maneuvers add something that I think makes the fighter something more complex than it is designed to be just a classic boring warrior yes mm-hmm. oh, i don't i wouldn't use the word boring because if you mm-hmm. like if the dm is competent at making engaging combats um if you think of the group of D as being um more than the sum of its parts uh-huh. and the fighter is this crucial element of that um even if you like if you ran even two fighters um you would have some amazing uh, interchange, like let's say between a battlemaster and an eldritch knight. Like even within the same class, play this in the same party, but with different subclasses, you'll have a lot of different feel. Oh, absolutely! I think the fighter, perhaps between its subclasses, with Xanathar's guide subclasses too. I think it's, I think it has the most variance between its subclasses compared to any other classes subclasses. Hmm. Hmm. I, I guess I agree. I think that some of the subclasses are on the weaker end of in terms of interesting design space, but they are like mechanically you're going to be playing them differently, especially when you consider like the Arcane Archer and the Eldritch Nice. They're going to be relatively different to the Battlemaster or the Champion. Yeah. Um, one last word on the Battlemaster. They have an ability called Know Your Enemy. Um, and what that means is that if you study an enemy before you fight it, you, you get some statistical insight into that creature. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The way yeah. I run the game is that 
like I reveal that information after the first round of combat, so they'll know the AC, and they'll obviously be seeing how much damage a monster is dealing. So this is kind of interesting for me to kind of say, because um, because I'm I'm because I'm revealing that info um, already for a, a fighter doing this, I might even give them the exact hit point count or like saving throw numbers or whatever. Like I because I want to reward them for like sizing up this yeah. uh, fight before it happens and taking that time. I think it's interesting and fun. Yeah, I think for me, I don't give that information very freely. So the battle master getting that info is like it's a big deal. That info is, I think, a little more valuable. Yeah. Um, I have in one of my current campaigns a eldritch knight, um, and it's been a blast uh, to see the different stuff that that he has available. I think he's role playing. He's a tiefling. Um, so for me, the big deal is reflavoring some of the spells to fit with the eldritch knight um because this character that that i have in my party is a tiefling um we just reflavored some of his spells that he gets normally just to fit his character more so he has one uh i think it's a cantrip maybe it's first level spell is the poison spray and we just <laughs> we just reflavored it as lava spray and it fits the character so much more as kind of the fire of the tiefling, the demon, you know, and it does the same damage, whatever, but it's just, it just fits so much better. Um, I, I don't know from what I've experienced from the Eldritch Knight, I've loved it. I feel like it's been super fun because it's like they have the same fighter stuff, but they have a lot of like cool tactical stuff with their spells that they can use in situations that the dm wouldn't expect those cantrips that they get um, are a little weak uh, in just the player's handbook but if you get the sword coast adventurer's guide um, and i would suggest just get it on dnd beyond because it's probably not worth having in physical form um, you get a lot better pool of cantrips and the class just becomes better yeah or the subclass rather huh I think otherwise the cantrips kind of suck. I think for me... Yeah, the damage is just not not great. I think for me, with I'm so flexible with spells. I've probably negotiated those cantrips up better than what they usually <laughs> are. Because, yeah, I don't I don't follow the, the book spells to a T. Oh, I'm surprised you follow them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's get into the three from Xanathar's Guide. Um, I think these really add a lot to the class. Like a ton um, so what do you guys think of the Arcane Archer, the Cavalier, and the Samurai? So from what I understand about the Arcane Archer, um, they've just taken the idea of the uh, the Archer-type fighter mm-hmm. and given you magic arrows. So you have this chance to pick a whole bunch of them. I think there's six or seven different ones, and they do things like um, bursting into flame or uh, grappling people at the ground, kind of like a net, um, all kinds of things. And you can probably make up more if, if your DM is flexible. It's pretty cool. I have not played it. Yeah, I think the whole archer aspect of the fighter is just severely underrated. Like, when when a fighter, that they're good at martial weapons, like a a bow and arrow is included in that. And so I feel like it's underrated, and the arcane archer seeks to kind of showcase the skill from that type of archetype. But at the same time, I think the arcane archer is a little weak um from a just systems perspective i don't know david's the one that would have a better perspective on that but from what i've heard on reddit and whatnot that it the arcane archer is just it's a little it's a little weak unless you have a cool flavor to add to it 
I've heard it's weak. One of the things that I really don't like about it is the fact that you are so limited on which types of arrows you can pick. You're only limited to three at first. I would really like it if you had the whole list. Hmm. So you had more options to choose from as you're going through. Mm -hmm. I think... I think adding decisions to the game just makes the game better. I think you're right. Like, I would probably open up the whole list and then just mm -hmm. um, design upgraded versions of the arrows. So instead of choosing an additional uh, style, as, as the class guide makes you do, um, you would just choose an upgrade to that. So you have more utility, but then you can still focus in on what you use the most. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about this more later when we... Go over my some of my complaints with the fighter class. <laughs> yeah, I think the arcane archer they could have focused on the utility a little more, but they kind of didn't. Um, overall, I'd be eager to see that kind of class, especially I'd be eager to play it because my type of players are less, you know, systems based, and I don't really care about the numbers as much. But I feel like with flavor, you could add some really cool elements to that subclass. Yeah. Next up, we have the Cavalier. Um, it's like a knight, but not quite. Mm -hmm. um, you have a horse and all kinds of stuff you can do with the horse. However, the class can exist without the horse. You're basically focused on mounted combat a lot of the time. Think about it's It's kind of like you're jousting all the time. Yeah, I really, really like this class. I, from what I've heard, this is an amazing class for anyone who wants to be a tank who wants to protect their their party members, who wants to kind of have some crowd control over enemies. And I think the real flavor comes from, it doesn't have to be a horse that you're riding. Like the Cavalier has a mount, but I mean, that mount, what your mount is changes the class entirely. If you're riding a turtle, it completely changes the class. <laughs> like if you're riding a Velociraptor, it completely changes the class. Right. And so having the different mounts. If you're writing a griffin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all these mounts change the class entirely. So I think with a creative player, like the Cavalier can become a really, really good tank and just a really interesting class in general. I could envision a little uh, campaign idea where you have um, maybe a lot more travel than you have in your average D&D campaign and everybody has mounts. And so this would be a great pick for that kind of thing because he has a lot of abilities to trigger off of that stuff. Yeah. And I like the idea of wide open spaces. I think Lord of the Rings did a lot of these field battles yeah. um, that honestly I don't think I've ever done in D&D just because mass combat seems scary daunting. and slow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very daunting. Um, but there's a place for this. There's a place for all of these subclasses, I think, in uh, certain games. Finally, we have the Samurai. Um, as Jake was mentioning earlier, this is a... Um, Jake, how would you describe this? I mean, their whole class is based on advantage, which I think is an incredibly interesting system they introduced in 5e. And I think the Samurai is amazing. This is the class I've been really, really, really wanting to play since Xanathar's came out. It's between this and the Hexblade Warlock, obviously. Um, this just seems so fun. And so currently it's been really great to live vicariously through one of my players who has a samurai. And it has been so cool to see how they, um, basically because this, this player is kind of a min-maxer, kind of a power gamer. And just to see how they really utilize every part of the samurai to get the greatest gain from it um it's been it's been really incredible to see i think the samurai is a super cool addition to the fighter subclasses 
um, there's an ability they get at level 7 called the Elegant Courtier. And all of that it means is you excel in social situations and, and you get some other and you get some other bonuses. And I think that's really fun mm-hmm. just because you are this regal and very sophisticated fighter, which maybe you wouldn't normally think of when you're building a fighter. You yeah. think of them as being this gruff ex-military yep. um, whatever. Uh, but this guy is very elegant and he knows his way around a conversation. Very noble. Yeah. You're all about that respect. Mm. I, R-E-S-P- I love that. E-C-T. Like just just having any any inputs of flavor into the the fighter class itself is like really just refreshing <laughs> as a more role play focused DM. I, I have some problems with the fighter class as it is in 5e. And I'm not talking about balance wise because balance wise, it's pretty good. If you want to deal damage, it's really good at dealing damage. You get tons of extra attacks. You get tons of modifiers and boosts that just amp up your damage a lot. And if you're looking at the backgrounds, the backgrounds are great. What I think it lacks is in combat, where it accelerates, you don't have many decisions that you can make. Hmm. Almost always the basic decision that you're going to make is, I swing my sword at my enemy. And some of the problems that I have is, when wielding different weapons, combat feels the same. If I'm wielding a great axe versus a short sword, I'm going to attack virtually the same way. When in reality, those would play out very differently in those kinds of situations. Would they though? I mean the end result is somebody dying. <laughs> yeah, but if I'm if you're imagining a sword fight between someone who's like swinging and lugging a huge axe versus like kind of bobbing and weaving and just jabbing at your opponent with a sword, that feels different. And I feel like that kind of fighting aspect is lost in 5e for the most part huh. without narration. I mean, it's not captured in the system at all. Also, I feel like there's no dynamic to the combat you're not necessarily playing off each other it's just i try to hit him i miss he tries to hit me he misses there's no back and forth dynamic but if you watch i don't know the movies or lord of the rings you're seeing people play off each other and that's just kind of lost in the system and there's so much room for them to develop things involving reactions involving aiding other people and i feel like there's a lot of design space that they've missed out on and i feel like they they could have done more with the fighter so i don't know that's just kind of like my opinion i feel like the all that stuff you said kind of discarding narration like i feel like all of this stuff relies on the narration of the dm and even the players be like describe to me how you miss you know if you're the dm just ask them that just be like how do you hit them you know the the famous matt mercer how do you want to do this Mm -hmm. and like all that stuff yeah. is implied in the DM's narration. I don't know if you if you bake that into mm-hmm. the system. I don't know if it gets too complex I mean, for new players that are joining in, right? Um, I think there are ways that you can work around it. I think, okay, so I personally don't think that you need to model specific weapon uh, fields inside the system. Sure. Because I think that, um, well, I really don't know if there's a way to do that without really slowing down combat even more. And combat is something that um, that I personally feel like needs to be streamlined a lot for 5e. But that's that's my that's my burden to bear. Huh. Um, as for uh, what David's saying, I, I really don't think the weapons necessarily need to feel different. I think that what you're saying about the combat's being boring and dry, but I hit you, I hit you. Um, if we're looking at any combat from a movie and you have, um, let's say, in The Hobbit, the barrel chase scene. Oh, that was great. <laughs> it's, it's a great scene in an abysmal film. Um, <laughs> it's a great D&D kind of moment, right? Because it's just over the top yeah. all the time. 
Um, and, and really all they're doing is you're escorting people down a river, you can't control the speed, and then you're just sort of running along the, you know, the environment. And I think it's up to the, to the DM in a lot of ways to, to set the scene and set the battle in an interesting place. I personally definitely fall down in this area where my combats tend to be, oh, here's a wide open field, and maybe there's like, you know, a big tree in the middle, and now you fight, and everybody stands there, and, and everybody rolls dice until mm-hmm. the combat is over. Um, so I definitely understand that. But I don't know if the fighter is the mechanical knobs that we need to tune and turn to make that happen i i just think that they haven't been developed yet because i don't know if you look at all of the other classes so you have like the wizard and they have all sorts of spells that they can cast that are have a variety of applications in different situations and you have the druid who has so many different wild shapes and you have the paladin who has this divine intervention that they can call upon but the fighter they don't really have many decisions that they can make. There's not there's not a whole lot of, of choice that you can make other than I attack. Well, I think that the class is actually designed for the type of player who would prefer to have less choices. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. a good point. Yeah, because if, if, if you want more gameplay, you just pick something else. <laughs> yeah. Like a monk, for instance. <laughs> um, okay. Maybe that's why I don't like the fighters, because <laughs> I, I like choices. And, and they don't have a lot. And they don't have a lot of choices. But I guess some people are okay with that. And the people who uh, play D and D while drinking heavily would yeah. would love a fighter. <laughs> maybe the fighter wasn't designed for me. Like oh. I, the more I think about this, it's like maybe it's just a class that I'm just not meant to play. Yeah, and that's okay. But I just haven't thought about that before. Uh. <laughs> it's happening, Jake. <laughs> We've changed his mind. So now instead of being poorly designed, it's just poorly designed for you. Exactly. <laughs> Good. Okay, so looking at everything we've said, what are ways that we as DMs can improve fighters? Well, you, when you, we say improve, I think David is thinking mechanically. I'm definitely thinking from a role play perspective. Yeah. And then Jake is looking for ways to hook it into <laughs> the overall game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, actually, the first thing that comes to mind, oddly enough, is <clears throat> the Edge of the Empire skill system. Um, so in D&D, they have feats that you can buy, a kind of optional rule it's in the back of the book. I've never used them, but a lot of people really love them. What? You haven't in, used feats? Dude, I'm telling you, combat is the slowest part of the game. And no, I just but a lot of the feats aren't stand. combat. A I lot of them it. just make the... Honestly, I think a lot of the feats make the combat faster, especially if someone's optimizing oh. your character. Yeah. You know what I'm going to do to make the combat faster? I'm going to half health and double damage. That'll be <laughs> fast. <laughs> um, anyway, in Edge of the Empire, they have skill trees. And so you spend points as you... As you level up, you get skill points, and you spend those to, to unlock new skills. And I like the idea of having something like that. Um, it maybe not class specific, but like feats that you can you can have a varying power, and you hide them at the bottom of the tree. Is it weird that I'm designing a feature that I would never actually use in the game? I'm realizing <laughs> that right now. Yeah, because I feel like adding mechanical parts to an already designed game can work, but it is exhausting and it will either be ignored by the more role-play type characters and it will be exploited by the more mid-maxing power game type players, right? Oh, but Jake, the mechanical tinkering is part of the fun of D&D. Oh, I think yeah. that's where you that's and David play. are It's the only reason goons. I play. <laughs> you and David are <laughs> ridiculous goobers. Yeah. <laughs> now, it is kind of weird because the average person doesn't think about this stuff. And, and David and I definitely do. Because for me, yeah. when I'm thinking how to improve a fighter, fighters are about their armaments, right? They're about their, their weapons and their armor. 
They're very combat focused, but those items are very important to them. So to improve a fighter, I want to give them magic items, a lot of them, in order to make their character interesting, in order to give them certain abilities they might not have otherwise. So I think fighters are some of the classes that benefit best from very unique and very frequent additions of magic items. That's true. And maybe we've looked at this kind of in a vacuum when normally a fighter is not the only person in the party. Um, I'm imagining how a fighter can change just by giving them the fly spell. They fly up above an enemy and just drop down like Link, right? And they just just (laughs) destroy them. And so maybe there's a lot of interaction that we don't, um, we haven't thought about. And I think giving items away is, um, it is actually mechanically tinkering with the game, Jake. Oh yeah, I I would agree. But I don't have to do any math myself. You're on on board, boy. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) So I'm trying to think of a different class that, that relies on their items as much as the fighter. And I think the fighter relies on their weapons and armor the most of any class by far. So I think for me, in terms of improving the fighter class, one of the things that you can do is you can be more loose in terms of, as a DM, you can be more loose in terms of interpreting gameplay rules. So if you have a fighter who is wielding a great axe and he says, I want to cleave all of my enemies in front of me. You can let him make attack rolls on three people in front of him. I think mm-hmm. that's more interesting and more fun gameplay-wise uh. because it gives them more opportunity to be more creative in how they play and how right. they attack their enemies. Or if they say, they're shooting a fireball at me, I want to try to block with my shield. I would give them some sort of advantage or something on that mm-hmm. save because they're trying to play the class better and they're doing a better job at role-playing and i think that should be rewarded i think i'm actually going to run a second edition D campaign where the rules are almost entirely uh fuzzy and up for interpretation because i think that uh david would enjoy that i, I want to try it yeah i don't know if david would like it because it's it, like um, if you make a game that is completely fuzzy then you see, can't manipulate that's it that's why i'm curious to try because <laughs> oh, or or you can you can manipulate it to greater extent. But then, if I'm running combat as war, mm-hmm. then um, it's going to look different. I heard a really interesting explanation of old school D and D versus the modern D and D, and that is um, in old school D and D, your character was weak, and and they are trying to survive the world because the world is going to kill them. And in new D and D or modern D and D, the world is trying to survive the characters. Oh, it's a complete dichotomy. Oh, that, is, that, that changes yes. everything. Because so, the characters are super people. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that people, the one of the things that game designers strive to do is they strive to achieve balance. And I'm wondering if that's not a good thing to achieve. I'm wondering if the thing to achieve is the most brokenness. <laughs> what? So you have Whoa. wizards that are absurdly strong and yeah. fighters who are absurdly strong. Like what happens in those situations when? You know, people who are extremely strong clash. I think that's more interesting than Mm. a very balanced fight that's always, you know, precise. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, if we have a war of gods and both of them can, like, destroy anyone, then you're, I don't know, I think it's going to be one-sided either way. Because, like, someone's going to be just automatically more powerful. Like, Mm -hmm. a a 20th level fighter versus a 20th level wizard, the wizard's going to polymorph him and then just crush him. I don't know. Put him in a force cage and just torture him to death. I think there are <laughs> ways that the fighter could win. 
Um, maybe one should, v one, me bro. Yeah, we should we should test it out. Like twenty. <laughs> okay, so the fighters for me, um, why I will sometimes point my players to different classes is because the fighters give you an excuse not to care about your background, not to care about your personality traits, not to care about your role playing. Like it just gives you an outlet where you can just commit total violence, you know, and not think about the ramifications socially or from a role play perspective. So for me, I think the fighter because it doesn't have these things baked into them, it doesn't have natural DM hooks baked into it. I think that's where you should really push your players, if you're their DM, to think of very complex or interesting backstories for the fighter to really give it that much more flavor. Hmm. I uh, oh, I have some really great backstories I want to lay on you guys. Well, let's yeah, from, let's just go. They're from silly sources. Well, yeah, let's just go into <laughs> let's go uh, on. Okay. some character concepts for fighters that you think are creative or unique or whatever. Okay, so I was thinking about this today, and I was thinking about all these different fighters. I thought about John Wick, but then, oh. you know, whatever. So I, <laughs> oh. um, but I, I didn't do John Wick. Um, I was thinking about just challenging myself, and I came to Disney films. So if I was going to base a backstory on so, like the idea of something from Disney, the first one is Aladdin. So I would have a fighter oh. whose dad was in Aladdin's situation and did the Prince Ali thing. Like he wished to be a noble, oh. but he's not actually. Like he just has a bunch of money and like you know, wishes. And so this uh, fighter comes from um, a, a noble family that nobody respects because he's not real. Like just, mm. he's new money. <laughs> and uh, so you have, yeah. And so that's where you are your training because your dad was just, you know, like a, not a beggar, but some like really low end um, well, street rat guy. <laughs> yeah. So that's my first one. <clears throat> my second is based on Frozen. Um, Ooh, so this fighter, uh, he is, is it? Elsa is the one with the frost powers. Yeah, I feel like she's a so sorcerer. This fighter is an eldritch. <laughs> so, uh, well, it's my riff on it, right? <laughs> so, um, Elsa or Anna or whoever, I, you have only seen it one time, guys. I'm sorry. Let it go. Um, <laughs> 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 this is the first time I've said it in 2018. Um, this, so your fighter is the one who's ex, uh, expressing these uncontrollable powers. They don't necessarily have to be frost powers, but um, you would build that into your Eldritch Knight as you're leveling up and you're learning how to control them. Um, maybe you're oh. from this kingdom that's way up in the north, this Scandinavian country, and you've traveled down because you're sort of exiled uh, because you've, you've damaged or or even killed some of your family members or people close to the family. So you're an exile with powers. Great. And the last one I have uh, of all of the films I could have picked, I picked Lilo and Stitch. Um, this is my my favorite one. So in Lilo and Stitch, Stitch is this experiment who comes from space and he gets trapped on Hawaii. And that's like the basis of the film. So I took the idea of something falling from space um, onto an island. So this fighter has a sword and the sword is like Stitch in this scenario. Um, but it's highly magical, only in the sense that the fighter is a regular person and can only fight when holding the sword. And so if ever you drop your sword, you cease to be a fighter. So um, at level one, you have a quote-unquote magic sword that uh, statistically is not doing anything, but, uh, but it is all of the power. And the fighter, he just won't let anybody else touch his sword because then they will become this great fighter. And this explains how it's leveling up because the um, the sword is learning how to puppet the body of the fighter more efficiently. And so it's oh. already a hyper-powered, like, 20th level fighter, but it's just he's the one um, unlocking the ability. That's really cool. Thank you. And it's based on Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Would you look at that? <laughs> All right, David, do you have one? 
character concept for a fighter? Do I have any interesting concepts for a fighter? Hmm. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I honestly don't. So for me, um, I love, I love, love, love the Battlemaster fighter, but kind of reflavored into an older class from an earlier edition of D&D, like the Warlord, which is like a commanding mm. officer type fighter. Um, so essentially the way I think of making it in D&D 5e is multi-classing a Battlemaster fighter with a bard. And so using your bardic inspiration as like you giving orders, like I love that concept of like this very charismatic fighter that's just an inherent leader. Um, it it kind of reminds me of uh, the, the Star Wars Edge of the Empire, Age of Rebellion, that, mm. that system. In, oh, instead yeah, of yeah. charisma, they have a stat called presence. And presence is kind of like this... It's not necessarily like charming, charlatan type, you know, getting around things, charisma. It's being able to command troops and being able to get people to follow orders and getting people to follow you. And so I love the idea of like this battlemaster fighter that's just a commander of troops and that he can give kind of tactical orders and he can do his battlemaster uh, maneuvers from his subclass, but at the same time, he can be handing out uh, bardic inspiration from the bard class. I just love that idea. It's like this sense. leader. He's like pointing at party members and barking orders, yeah. and that is your command die. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that that's not a class. <laughs> yeah, I think they've been debating yeah, putting it in a warlord class or subclass. That's a really great concept. Uh, definitely less silly than mine, but I love it. <laughs> All right, let's go in the vault. Welcome to this week's Question Vault. If you have a question for us, you can email it to voxarcanapodcast at gmail.com. This week's question comes from Charlie. He asks, what are the pros and cons of having a detailed world map? Thank you, Charlie. Huh. Thanks, Charlie. Oh, I mean... I think that if you go into detail too early on and you've already made the whole map... What else is there to explore? Exactly. That's what I was going to say. If, you, if you've made the whole world map, then everything has already been explored. I like the idea of having a blank map and then you slowly fill it in as you go along and it slowly becomes more and more detailed. I might oh. do um, like have a whole world and you maybe have highlighted big cities, like some of them, mm. but mostly the map is blank. And that way the players can Weird. say, oh, well, you know, I, I know this person here. Or even even further, one of the other ideas I have is that you give them a map that is wrong. So it has things on the map that are wrong. So it's like they were sold. The someone sold them the map in game, like a vendor or something. And the map has all sorts of interesting love annotations and interesting marks. Mm. And it's like maybe like there's a treasure hidden dungeon somewhere where there's like a city that doesn't exist. Mm. Like all of oh. those things could be really cool. Cool. Okay, so going back to what you guys said about like wanting to make your own map or just like leaving a map blank, I fundamentally disagree. Like when I when <laughs> when I get a game, a video game, you know, when I open up the The Witcher or The Elder Scrolls Skyrim, they include in it a map. And you open up that map and you read it and you're like, "Oh my god, this is so cool. And it makes you want to play the game more. 
And so I don't, maybe it's because I've been playing in a world that's had a map that I've drawn that's like we've used for, you know, three years. But I love the idea of a map and seeing, you know, a place named something and you're like, I want to go there. Like, like, what is this thing, you know? I want to go to Mark <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's seeing a town name or seeing a weird thing on the map. Like, one of my, uh, in my map, there's just a big lake and there's a big uh, orb in the middle of it. And it's just called Starfall Lake. And it's where an asteroid hit, you know, a thousand years ago. And that has never come up in any of, of my campaigns so far. But that part of the map, I'm hoping my players see that and go, that's interesting. Like, I, I'm intrigued. And it makes them want to be a part of the world more. So, I don't know. I feel I don't know if if the cons are enough to, to stop a good DM from making a well-detailed map, you know? Hmm. Well, sounds like we all disagree. <laughs> Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> Look what you've freaking done, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and that's the vault, folks. Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana episode twelve. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time. Follow us on social media. Our Twitter is at Vox Arcana Pod. Our Facebook is at Vox Arcana Podcast. Instagram is the same. Email is voxarcanapodcast at gmail.com. If you find the golden ticket hidden in one of our episodes, you'll win a tour of our D and D factory. 